Good afternoon, welcome to our four o'clock service. Turn with me to John's Gospel. We started a series on John, John's Gospel, last Sunday afternoon and we're continuing this afternoon verses 19 to 34 of chapter 1. Everybody loves John's Gospel. Billy Graham sent every recent newborn convert to read John. When was your first experience of reading John's Gospel? You can never tire of John's Gospel. Every time you read it, there is something new and something fresh to see in it. So turn with me to John 1. We're going to pick up the reading at verse 19, reading all the way to verse 34. Let's pray before we read God's word. Our Father in heaven, we ask now for the blessing and the illumination of your Holy Spirit as we turn to familiar passages from the Gospel of John. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we might behold something of your beauty and your attractiveness. For in your name's sake we ask it. Amen. So that's John 1, verse 19 to 34. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptising if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptise with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptising. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptising with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptise with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptises with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. May God bless the reading of the ho his holy and inerrant word. John ends his prologue with its intense concentration of theological truth and now begins to focus on the witness of the Baptist. And we know from the other Gospels that the Baptist had remarkable parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, both of the tribe of Levi. They were elderly and childless. And one day, 
Zechariah was in Jerusalem because by lot it was his turn to perform his priestly duties, including the service of offering incense, which was considered the most sacred of all of the priestly duties. And on this day, Zechariah had come to the temple of Herod and was ministering in the holy place where the table of incense stood. And as he reverently performed his duties, according to the instruction that the Lord had given to Moses, moving about the softly lit room, joy unspeakable filled his heart. It was a great day for Zechariah. But in the midst of Zechariah's quiet worship, the angel Gabriel suddenly appeared in that sacred place and spoke to the faithful old priest. Surely at that moment, Zechariah was too stunned to comprehend the magnitude of what was happening. But later, as he thought on these things, he must have recalled that it had been 400 years since the last angelic appearance. But now the angel Gabriel, one of the archangels, revealed himself to this humble priest. That would be enough in itself. But then Gabriel spoke. And even more remarkable were his words. We get this from Luke 1, 13 to 17. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John. He will be great before the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah. The records reveal that because Zechariah didn't believe Gabriel's words, he was struck mute, a stunned man, unable to speak, left the temple that day. But that wasn't the end of the story. For we read, read later of that meeting between Elizabeth and her cousin Mary, the mother of our Lord. And a meeting that overflowed in spontaneous joy. Elizabeth was in the fifth month of her pregnancy when Gabriel re revealed himself to Mary as well and told her, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And when these two women met, Elizabeth said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And then Mary sang her beautiful Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord. Mary praised the Lord, God her Saviour, for his might, his holiness, his mercy. The story doesn't end there. John the Baptist was born and as he was being circumcised, Zechariah wrote his name was to be John. And at that moment, the old man's tongue was loosed and he sung the Benedictus, that great blessing that includes these words. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. There never has had been anyone like 
John the Baptist. And as he matured, he grew into his role of a prophet. He wore a camel hair coat. He fed on wild honey and locusts. He spent much time with God. He was a great man of God, John the Baptist. And finally, he burst on the scene as the supreme witness of all of history. For he knew who Jesus Christ was. And while his life doesn't reveal everything about witnessing for the Lord Jesus, it gives us the essentials. History hasn't been kind to John the Baptist. He's often portrayed in paintings, especially as some kind of wild-eyed, crazed kind of person. These are unfair portrayals of the Baptist. To be sure, John the Baptist looked a little strange, but that was for a deliberate reason. But John the Baptist's ministry was the most beautiful ministry that any man could have ever been given because his ministry was to point sinners to Jesus. And the thing I want you to think on this afternoon is, is someone pointing you to Jesus? Whatever may have been on your agenda recently, whatever trouble you may be facing, whatever hope, aspiration, goal, whatever it is, John the Baptist wants you to look to Jesus. Now there is an abrupt change in this prologue in the first chapter of John. It begins, as it were, from above. One of the most magnificent statements to be found in the whole of Scripture as to the identity, the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But now we move from those lofty heights, as it were, down to earth, and we have a portrayal of John the Baptist, who was in the River Jordan, baptising hundreds, maybe thousands. A baptism of repentance. And now the fully grown Jesus of Nazareth comes to fulfil all righteousness to be baptised. Now it says John didn't recognise him. Of course the Baptists knew who Jesus was, they were cousins. But it, he didn't recognise at this point the true identity of Jesus Christ. And what transpires before us in these verses Verses 19 to 34 are three word pictures taken from the Old Testament forming a, a collage. A collage, which is a posh word which wasn't in existence when I was growing up. But everyone I know now is doing collages, photo collages. Well, here is a collage. I'm not even sure if I'm saying it right of three word pictures drawn from the Old Testament. Number one, the Baptist was a voice in the wilderness warning God's people to repent while there is time. John the Baptist is a voice in the wilderness. The Baptist had been baptising. There had been something of a revival that had taken place. A genuine revival, an outpouring of the Spirit. Sinners have been convicted of sin. They're flocking to hear this preacher, just as they did with Jonathan Edwards or George Whitfield or whoever the Lord has used in centuries gone by. God used John the Baptist 
the conduit through which the gospel was proclaimed. And Jerusalem is alarmed, as you might expect. We read in verse 19 of this alarm. They sent priests and Levites in order to find out what it is this John the Baptist figure is saying and doing. They're concerned about his message. They're concerned about his methods. Notice in verse 23, the reference to the wilderness. He is a voice crying in the wilderness. It's taken from the Old Testament. But that little word wilderness is full of meaning. We've come out of Egypt. We're on our way to the promised land. We're in that period known in the Old Testament as the wilderness. And it's a voice crying in the wilderness. That redemption in the fullness of God's promise is coming. But the word wilderness perhaps reminds us of something else too. Because what God has been doing ever since the fall has been a restoring of the wilderness. Bringing back Eden that was lost. So that God's work of redemption, our salvation in all of its aspects, is part of God's plan of restoring creation. Changing the wilderness and making it into a beautiful garden. So that when John, John the Evangelist, the author of the Gospel, wrote the book of Revelation, the way he portrays in those final chapters the new Jerusalem is, yes, it is a new city, but it's a new garden where fruit and trees flourish to the glory of God. At this point, before the coming of our Lord, John is in the wilderness. And his message is that the last days are on the horizon. It's necessary for sinners to repent and be baptised as a symbolic representation of their desire for their sins to be forgiven. Jerusalem has sent priests because it was the priests who did the ceremonial washings, which were pre-baptisms, if you like. And they are, as you can imagine, a little concerned why John the Baptist, who isn't a priest, is doing this in the wilderness. So they sent the theological police, they sent the Levites, the temple police, to scrutinise John the Baptist's message. And John is preaching a message where he's saying that the last days are dawning. So who does John think he is? Is he the, the Messiah? No, I'm not the Messiah, John says, but I am the one who's declaring that the last days are near. I am not the king, but I am the herald of the king. So they ask him, these theological police, they say, are you Elijah then? And, they, and, and the reason is because the last few verses of the Old Testament in Malachi contain a promise that in the last days, Elijah would come again. And they probably thought John the Baptist looked exactly like Elijah. Not that they had a picture of him or anything, but exactly what they imagined he would look like. But he's not Elijah either. Well, is he the prophet then? That you're referring to the promise in Deuteronomy 18, that in the last days a prophet like Moses would come. And John says, no, I'm not him either. Well, who is he then? And John says, I'm the voice. John plays with them a little. And says if they knew their Bibles, they would know that the Isaiah 40, that passage of prophecy, 
Perhaps one of the most wonderful chapters in the Old Testament, especially in times of stress, contain, contain beautiful words of promise and comfort. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We read it this morning. And he quotes verse 31. He quotes in verse 31, Isaiah 43. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert and highway for our gods. And John is the one who's proclaiming the message. And they would have recalled that Isaiah had spoken these words to those who were in exile. Of God's promise to redeem them from Babylonian exile. But in and with and under those promises were also promises that God would redeem them from a spiritual bondage and exile that they found themselves in. God would redeem them from their sins and from the guilt of their sins and from the corruption of their sins. So John the Baptist says, I am not the Messiah, but I am the voice that precedes the coming of the Messiah. John says to them that his task is to show your need of him. So when he appears, you will embrace him as the long expected Messiah and redeemer of his people. So the first word picture of our collage, a voice crying in the wilderness, Isaiah 40. Secondly, the second word picture is that the Holy Spirit identifying Jesus as God's son. The Holy Spirit is the heavenly dove. So John isn't only a voice crying in the wilderness, but he is the one who gives testimony to the Spirit as the heavenly dove. Now, before the theological priest had rolled up, John had seen something. It isn't recorded in any detail in John's gospel, but it's recorded in the other Gospels, what had the Baptist seen? Well, he had seen the Spirit of God descending on Jesus as a dove. He speaks of it in verse 32. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. Why a dove? Now, forget all those pictures that may be coming into your head of magic, black hats, silk, and out comes a dove. Throw those away for a minute. Why a dove? Well, first of all, because of the story of creation. The story of creation has already played a tremendous part in the prologue of John's Gospel. Is John still thinking about remembering Genesis 1 and 2? The creation account, where the earth was without form and empty. God begins to mould it and shape it. He sends the Holy Spirit to hover as a bird over the waters. And as the voice crying in the wilderness, proclaiming the one who's coming to restore all things. What a beautiful way to describe the Holy Spirit as the dove who broods over the waters. The flood. It was the dove that brought back the leaves as a symbol that the judgment of God had passed. The new order had begun. And there was another occasion where a dove played a crucial role. You remember that? When a poor person couldn't afford a lamb or a goat and they would come to the temple in order, in need of having their sins forgiven, they could bring two turtle doves. 
And one of those doves would be sacrificed, and through that sacrifice, the imagery would be given. Forgiveness of sins. Peace with God. John is saying all of these things. It's a whole host of pictures. John says in verse 33, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptise with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptises with the Holy Spirit. John said, I did not recognise him. Of course he knew who he was. They were cousins. But he didn't recognise the full significance of who Jesus was until the dove rested on Jesus. This is the one, John is saying. This is the one in who creation is going to be made anew. This is the one who brings the message that judgment is past, forgiveness is near. This is the one through whom sin is atoned for. Do you see the message and the collage? Not only is John a voice in the wilderness, he's the one who speaks of the Holy Spirit who comes in the form of a dove and rests on Jesus, identifying Jesus as God's answer, as God's solution to this broken world and broken hearts. Hallelujah. What a saviour. And that brings us to the third picture. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away our sin. The third word picture that John brings to the surface, to his ministry and teaching. A wilderness voice, the heavenly dove, and a burdened lamb. And it's almost as if the light has been turned on. It's almost as though in John's preaching he is saying, I've been reading the Old Testament. I've been reading Exodus, I've been reading Deuteronomy, I've been reading Isaiah, and suddenly it makes sense now. And it's come in focus on this person, Jesus of Nazareth. It is an amazing claim, and as we and as you sit where you're sitting and think, it, this is interesting, but it's an astonishing claim that John the Baptist is making. It's a claim for which his life would be taken. The third picture of Jesus as the burdened lamb. Think of that story. Did the John the Baptist have it in mind as he was preaching and teaching in the River Jordan? Abraham, Isaac, making their way up Mount Moriah, Genesis 22. And Abraham said that when he gets to the top of Mount Moriah, he would make a sacrifice to the Lord. Abraham was old. Isaac was carrying the wood. He has the knife for the sacrifice, but as they went up the mountain, Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father, we have the wood. We have the knife. We have the fire. Where is the lamb? And you remember what, what eventually was given. It wasn't a lamb. It was caught, caught in the thicket. It was a ram that was caught in the thicket. As though that story is saying, yes, where is the lamb? Where is the lamb that we need for the sacrifice? Because although the ram is a sacrifice, it isn't the lamb. Nor was it all those lambs that were slain on Jewish altars. They couldn't forgive sins. 
because they had to be repeated over and over and over again on some feast days, you know. You could see outside the temple a trench going all the way to the valley beyond. And you could see the river of blood coming from the sacrifices on the altar of the temple. And day after day, week after week, year after year, it was repeated again and again. Now do you see what John the Baptist is saying to these priests, these Levites, these theological priests? With all their theology, all their tradition, all of their symbols, all of their works, all of their structures, all of their buildings, all of their concern for this, that and the other. John is saying, here is the Lamb. Here is the Lamb. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Was there ever a more beautiful text of scripture than that one? Was there ever a more beautiful sermon preached in the history of sermons? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What greater message could anyone proclaim than that? What an honour to be able to point to Jesus of Nazareth to say he is the one. He is God's Messiah. He is God's prophet. He is God's priest. He is God's king. He is the lamb. It is his blood that is going to forgive us our sins. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. He is the one wounded for our transgressions. He is the one bruised for our iniquities. He is the one upon whom chastisement is going to be laid. That is going to bring us peace. It is by his stripes we are healed. And John is saying, I did not realise it until I saw him in the river. Identifying with those sinners that were coming. And all of a sudden the dove descended. And God is saying, this is my one. This is my son. This is the one in whom I'm well pleased. This is the one that I promised. This is the son of my covenant promise. And John is saying to you, as he was saying to those priests and Levites who did not hear it. They didn't hear it. They didn't accept the message. They rejected the message. But John is still saying to you, he is still preaching to you. He is still saying, this is the one. Jesus of Nazareth is the one. The answer to your problem. The answer to your broken, sinful heart. The problem of your wretched, guilty condition. The problem of your burden of sin. The burden of your soul. He is the one, Jesus of Nazareth, who takes it away. What a beautiful message. May that voice crying in the wilderness that is a portent of a new creation that is to dawn. Ring in our hearts this afternoon. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face that the things of earth may grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Do you see it this afternoon? In John 1, it's so as though the words come apart and a blaze of glory shines forth. God's answer. God's answer to our wretched condition Behold the Lamb of God 
who takes away our sin. May that be your portion that you can say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away my sin. May it be so for God's glory and for our good. Amen.